and welcome to the Second Row Podcast. My name is Power Kelly and as always I'm joined by Ushin Collins. Hello Park, and we're back to European rugby this week. Yeah we are and I'm just about dried out after being in the sports ground and you've been down at Thoman today. I have. Two life games in a weekend is always a good start. It wasn't <laughs> quite as wet in Limerick, which is rare. <laughs> it is rare. Don't forget everyone, we're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, pretty much all podcasting apps. So do rate, like and subscribe to the podcast however you listen. This week we're talking European rugby with Pro 14 sides in action in both the Champions Cup and the Challenge Cup. But first, as always, we take a look at the news from the rugby world this week. The big news this week is that we have a new title sponsor for the Six Nations. Guinness are on the pitch. Yeah, they are at a greatly reduced rate than was being offered by HSBC. Yeah, there was a couple of sponsors. I think RBS were back in the mix. Yeah. Um, there was a couple, but Guinness seemed to have got a really cut price deal. Only six million for the first year, rising over time. But that's still not the kind of money that these guys would be looking for. You know what the real risk here is? They do have to find that money from somewhere to run the competition, to fund everything. There's a real chance that if they can't do that through advertising, we could see these games move to paid television. In Ireland, we're lucky because the Six Nations is protected by government. It's a core interest sport or something like that. For now, but you never know that these things might change, and certainly it could affect other countries. Definitely, which is a shame. It certainly is a shame. Another tough news story that came out this week was from a piece of research done by the Rugby Players Association in the UK, which discovered that three out of five former players who have retired are now suffering with mental health issues. Yeah, the numbers are terrible, and the anecdotal evidence we've heard through interviews of players just not knowing what to do on a Monday morning, even even not knowing what to wear. Like, their lives are so controlled, I'm not surprised, and I'd hope that and I hope that the IRFU, in conjunction with the RPI, that's the Rugby Players Association of Ireland, are doing everything they can to help all players in Ireland for that time they retire. Yeah, it's an important thing to make that transition work and definitely needs to be done. It's really important that the players have something to do other than rugby in their lives. And as we've seen from Robbie Henshaw, who's created a trad album with his family, it's you know, these are the type of things that are brilliant and what a weird piece of news. Oh, diddly ay. This was weird news. It's not that he's bad, it's just that it's very strange. Like, we've already had rugby musicians. Barry Murphy, who was a centre for Munster, um, was involved with, and I think is still part of the band Hermitage Green, who were big in Ireland. But this is very leprechaunic, shamrocky Patrick. Robbie Stady. Henshaw was a trad player before he was a rugby player. Really? Like, they, he's. In Athlone, the Henshaws are known as a trad family. That's really interesting. I didn't know that. And it was my girlfriend who told me that because her family's from Athlone. <laughs> <laughs> well, I tell you what, it'll be interesting to see what the trad music scene makes of him. But until he gets there, I think somewhere he will definitely still be in demand is in a Leinster jersey. And they really could have used him in their game this weekend. We're going to talk about the rugby and we start with Bath versus Leinster in Pool 1. And Leinster getting an important away win, uh, 17 points to 10. In one of the worst pitches I've ever seen, and we saw a zebra pitch the other week that was like tearing up. Yeah, this is a little bit like a ploughed field again, which is strange because that bath pitch, I've seen it in previous seasons and it's normally really well maintained. But I think it did tell you just how manky the conditions were. I know apparently it hasn't stopped raining over there in the last two weeks, but still, they can put something better on offer. Maybe the groundsmen are on Christmas holidays already. <laughs> but look, Leinster got the win after one of their standard slow starts. It was. And they really struggled to get into this game. Like Bath were really up for this. Their defensive line speed was excellent. You and I caught a couple of minutes of Bath's game last weekend in the Premiership against Sale, which was horrific. 
but they upped the intensity levels massively for this game. And the Leinster back row struggled. I, I don't think they secured the ball well enough for Leinster to play their game. Which was a surprise, given that they had both Levy and Vanderfleer on the pitch. You would have expected Leinster to boss this breakdown, but Underhill and Francois Lowe really had the measure of them. Underhill's proving why he's in that English team now with performances like that. Absolutely. And the thing for Leinster is it wasn't just their back row. Their back line really struggled to get through the tackles for Bath. Like There was a couple of moments whereby Ringrose or Sexton were able to get a bit of penetration. But other than that, they didn't make the type of line breaks that we expect from this Leinster team. And the conditions do play their part, but, you know, Leinster are Irish. They should be used to, you know, not good conditions. They've played in Galway. <laughs> but Leinster got their first try, and it was the type of try that we know they will score. Five metre line out, Maul, done. Leinster just score those. It's a bit like watching the Crusaders or, you know, Exeter, except in Europe. <laughs> but this wasn't a great game. And when BT have to start throwing the banterville of big Christmas tree Devon Toner, you know, things aren't great on the pitch. Because that's what we needed on top of their usual banter. Seasonal banter. <laughs> Amazing. <sighs> no, the second half was a bit of a snooze fest. The, the big talking point, I guess, was that the intercept try maybe shouldn't have been allowed. You look at the line-out that immediately preceded it and Sean Cronin nearly quarterback through it. It was so crooked. But then Bath recovered the ball and like one pass later, advantage is called over. They're still behind the game line at that point. It was three passes later. The ball <coughs> the ball had gone through hands. Like, it's a knock-on advantage, not a penalty advantage. It still felt very, very short. And particularly when that pass was a big floozy intercept special. That could be the equivalent of kicking the ball away. So, you know. <laughs> well, maybe not, but it was still going backwards. I'm not sure. <laughs> Either way, Jordan Larmore is not going to be stopped from there. Ran in the try and Leinster just didn't let go of the lead from that point onwards. It really helps when Tyke Ferron's like, no, this is my game and I will play until someone forces me to come off. It has to be said, his cardio fitness is ridiculous. I remember watching it about 60, 61 minutes. He hit a ruck, but then he was sprung straight back up on his feet, back in the defensive line on the tips of his toes. The guy's fitness is absurd. But that's such a strength for Leinster. They're, they're so physical in contact, but their fitness in general is incredible. Yeah, and when their starting players do tire, their bench just really gives a good lift. There's players there who, even if they're not necessarily going to change a game, are still bringing the same quality with freshness. But it doesn't matter how good an impact the bench makes. If you're not getting your back three onto the ball, you're playing with one arm time behind your back. A little bit. And, you know, a little bit of the blame probably to an unfamiliar 10-12-13 axis. Noel Reed isn't used to playing between Sexton and Ringrose. And I think their distribution just wasn't quite as good as usual. Credit to Bath, their line speed was good enough that they were often shutting down the ball before it got wider than the 13 channel. And then when they did make those tackles, they were out-competing Leinster at the breakdown more often than not. Which... You know, with two international class sevens out there, is a worry. It is, but don't forget, there's two international class sevens in the Bath team as well. <laughs> True. And in the other match in that pool, Wasps lost at home to Toulouse, 16 points to 24. Not even getting a bonus point at home. Ouch. We were talking about the worries that Wasps have last week or the week before. They have a worries on the pitch as well. Yeah, I think to be honest, well, Wasps are largely out of Europe at this point. They're going to have to go to France and probably get absolutely battered next week. And I think their attention will very much drift away from Europe. We could see some pretty uh, disinterested performances from them for the rest of the season in Europe. Send out the young'uns, lads. Send out the young'uns. Pretty much. Uh, speaking of a team that absolutely did not do that, uh, just back from Thoman Park earlier today, we're recording on a Sunday, as proven by our... Uh, <laughs> Awful news two, our weeks ago. news two weeks ago. <laughs> And Munster got a win against Cast at home, 30 points to 5. 
if you had offered me a 30 points to 5 win, even if you told me it wasn't coming with a bonus point, I probably would have taken it. But there, seeing the match, seeing how everything was playing out in front Should of you. Should have been a tri-bonus point. <laughs> this cast team had nothing. They were absolutely dreadful. And and so much so, you're only 6-0 up at halftime. Oh my God. So we just gave ourselves too big of a mountain to climb in the second half. It's always going to be a challenge to get four tries against a physical enough team who are putting in their tackles. Trying to do it inside 40 minutes instead of 80 is a real, real killer. And, you know... Part of that was Munster's lineout was genuinely just bizarre. Look, you seem to have the measure of them, but your calls were weird. Your overcom like your throws were wrong, or your lifts were wrong, or no one knew what was meant to be happening. We just seem to be trying like the top four most complicated lineout moves ever designed at the same time all of the time. Like there was a couple where we threw it deliberately over the tail of the lineout to a tail gunner. Fair enough, but. There was another one with there was so much movement between the jumping pods and it was on the cast five meter line. Like that should be simple. Throw it to four, maul it over. And we wasted an awful lot of possession because we certainly weren't shy of possession in that first half. You weren't shy and you did kick a lot away though. Like it's a good thing Castro were willing to knock the ball on half the time. Yeah, it was, but it was pretty obvious. From the first three kicks, Cast knocked two of them on. So that became a very reliable way to return possession to ourselves <laughs> and to give us good scrum ball because Munster's scrum was completely dominant over cast. It's such a shame that the some of the kicks were just so poor. I think you've missed Carberry and that little bit of class he has in some of those situations and it didn't help that Murray's box kicking wasn't as usual 100%. Yeah, so Munster lost both Carberry and Chris Farrell in the warm-up to this game which is going to disrupt your preparations whatever you're looking at. Like Those are two frontline players who are both creative influences in that team. JJ doesn't have the same variety in his game that Carberry does so we ended up running a lot more ball from 10 and doing an awful lot of kicking from 9 it was a little bit limiting and as you say Murray's box kicking wasn't ideal however he did make two excellent breaks for the first and second try just being switched on at the ruck identifying when there was space and brilliant offloads to Scannell and to Standard to power over for two tries but he went three tries up and that last 10 minutes he didn't really go for that fourth try or he didn't have the urgency to go really go for it. No, and it was definitely on the cards, but a little bit of smarter play at times. We were just a little bit brainless. We needed to be a little bit quicker in terms of kicking the conversion, regather possession, just play a bit smarter. At that point, though, the bench has been emptied. You're missing a number of frontline players. It's tricky. And as it is, we ended up conceding a yellow card for a tackle off the ball and a try in the last couple of minutes. But you know what? It is an acceptable outcome. We'll take it. But you'll definitely need to improve next week. These double headers are always tasty. They are. And you know what? Munster today weren't really clinical over the game as a whole, but certainly not in the first half. Need to make those opportunities count and need to bring the intensity more consistently across the whole game. An issue that's been there all season and maybe the loss of Caribbean Farrell so close to kickoff. It definitely wasn't Matt O'Connor silly buggers. It was injuries in the warm up. It was, yeah. I think Carberry had been. It was more he was given every chance to prove his fitness. He's had a tight hamstring all week. But Chris Farrell, like we saw him warming up when we got there, and then he wasn't there at kickoff, <laughs> which was a bit of a nightmare. I have to say though, JJ did look good at ten. He was given a lot of responsibility to run the ball and to manage the back line. Murray kind of took over a lot of the kicking, but he did well. He made a couple of really nice breaks. And his goal kicking improved from the other week, which needed to happen. It did. And from a breakdown perspective, we were all overcast, which considering the fact that you have Clute, Peter O'Mahony, Stander, 
and then Tigburn, who is at least half octopus on the pitch. <laughs> He's incredible. He just got so many turnovers. And it's like we said a couple of weeks ago. He doesn't just clamp on the ball and wait for the penalty. He's ripping the ball away. And we got a couple of good transition events where the ball came out. And but for, you know, slightly better passing and slightly better handling, we could have been the end of the pitch. In the other match in that pool, Exeter lost at home to Gloucester. 19 points to 27. Aren't Exeter meant to be good? <laughs> Exeter are currently either top or second in the Premiership. So, allegedly they are good. And they beat Gloucester a couple of weeks ago. This is a freak result. But Exeter just don't seem to be able to put it together in Europe. They they have always struggled in this regard. Look, this is Munster's pool now. That's all there is to say about it. It is indeed. Moving on to pool three. And we had two fixtures of Pro 14 interest in this pool. The first one, Leon playing host to Glasgow. 22 points to 42, the Scots running out winners. A tri-bonus point win away in France is huge. It is, which is weird because the first half was a little bit dull. This seems to be a running theme from this week. The first half of these European fixtures are just a bit poor or a bit shadowboxy. Shadowboxing is a good way to describe it because it's like neither team was able to stamp their authority on the game. Nobody really took it by the scruff of the neck. They're both trying to sound each other out and figure out where they're weak. That was definitely the case here. And I think what will have been frustrating for Glasgow is they did get a try, but then Leon scored one straight back, which is just lacking in concentration. Which isn't a hallmark of Glasgow play. But look, they scored that try before half time. That's a championship winning try. That sets you off on the right foot. Oh, BT Banter referred to those as the Leinster Minutes. Like, it's Championship Minutes. That's It's a well-renowned fact, it's Championship Minutes. No, the Leinster Minutes. This is why I'm glad I watch matches in pubs on mute at times. Sorry, <laughs> not Irish. <laughs> no, it They're was. just as bad. Are they? Oh, God. It, it was the right time to score a try like that because it put Leon going in at halftime with their heads down. And credit to the Glasgow scrum half, George Horn, who was directly involved in those two tries in the first half. He is a real live wire. There are no bad players in that Glasgow team, let's be honest. It's a really well put together squad once the first 23 to 27 players are on the pitch. That's true. In the second half, it got a little bit looser and there was more opportunities. The Leon try was a strange one though, because they kicked the ball through, it was scudding along the ground. Nick Grigg went and dived on it, but then he was tackled by two French players before he got back to his feet. No, that's a that's a penalty to Glasgow. Should have been, wasn't. Ah. Penalty to Leon. Tap quickly out the wing. Try. I actually saw that in the cock match as well, not given. Like someone skid into a, on a ball and not being let up. These are the small things that everyone can see. You blow for a penalty for the person with the ball, not the four lads collapsed on top of them. It's fairly obvious when it happens and when a ref gets it wrong. And it was very bad in this occasion. Again, though, Glasgow didn't get back and didn't set a defensive line when the penalty was announced. They need to be sharper than that in Europe because teams will take advantage of them. They were certainly sharper in attack, though, and who pops up to save them again? Good old Hastings. Oh, two really good tries that he created. There was a kick through in one, and then just a great read intercepted it and ran and put a player in. His ability to read is incredible, but his unselfishness as well, like situations like that on breakthroughs especially, you see players trying to take on that last man. He's like, hold on a second, have the ball, he can take me on. He's drawn a man every time. And the he does, try. and he has great awareness of who's around him, but it's actually that that he draws the man. He completely sells that he's going to go himself, and then the ball all of a sudden is just gonzo. But with Hastings at 10, it just shows how much creativity Glasgow have in general. He really does pull the strings incredibly well for them. He does, and they're willing to run the ball from anywhere in a really composed fashion. 
the other thing is they've got a couple of brilliant ball carriers in that team. Like Nick Grigg is having the season of his life. If the Six Nations started tomorrow, you wouldn't bet against Nick Grigg making it into the Scotland squad. Imagine you saying that last season. I didn't know who Nick Grigg was last season. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? There was other players who didn't put their hand up. For me, other than scoring that try, which was a kick through, which was just raw pace, Stuart Hogg had a really quiet game. He's He hasn't shown since he's returned from that latest injury. No, and Glasgow's concentration wasn't up to scratch. The sloppy tries they conceded and that yellow they gave away near the end of the match not being back 10 on a tap goal penalty. It's just silly, silly stuff. It is, and they're getting away with that type of thing against teams who aren't able to match them, but that's not going to be something they can rely on forever. The other result in this pool then, Saracens were playing Cardiff, and this ended up the way that you might expect. 51 points to Saracens, 25 to Cardiff. But you know what? Cardiff actually started the better, and they were ahead at half-time. 18 points to 13 lead, Boric. Does McCall have a better hair dryer treatment than Alex Ferguson ever did? Because the transformation Saracens from the first to second half was incredible. And like we shouldn't discredit Cardiff for their first half performance. They got themselves ahead. They got themselves in that position. They did. But then they conceded 38 points in the second half. So try bonus points can be scored in 40 minutes, eh? (laughs) Shut up. (laughs) But Cardiff didn't even get that last try until the very end of the game. They pretty much conceded 38 unanswered points. That's awful. It really is. Just awful. But the tries that Saracens got in that second half were just incredible. Some of them were incredible, but they were coming pretty easy. So immediately after half time, Earl came on as a sub. He's a back rower. Saris had a 6-2 split. They wanted to be able to bring a lot of physicality, which is why it looked like there was a scrum half scoring these tries. <laughs> so Earl comes on and gets two tries in about five minutes. Then Cardiff get a yellow card. Then Saracens decide to go full smashy smashy. And Maitland goes over for a couple of tries in a couple of minutes. Alright, Cardiff were down to 14 for those two tries, but they seemed to have their numbers wrong all over the fence for a lot of that second half. It was a completely different Cardiff team that came out in that second half, mentally, in terms of preparedness, in terms of the discipline and holding their line. I don't know what happened. It's almost like they didn't expect to be ahead at halftime, and they forgot what they were supposed to do to punch home that lead. They were really sloppy. Maybe they thought the halftime whistle was a full-time whistle because they were just that in dreamland about the score. Honestly, I wouldn't be at all surprised. They generated nothing in the second half. Whereas in the first half, there was some good attack focused around Gareth Anscombe's good running. Matthew Morgan came in, scored that great try. But in the second half, there didn't seem to be any creativity. When they got the ball, they were just being smothered to death by Saracens, which we know they're very capable of doing. But part of that was Cardiff nearly stood off them half a step. They didn't bring the same line speed that was so effective in the first half. And their tackling the first half as well, added to that line speed, was incredible. They were getting lads down to ground and just not letting Saracens get that head of steam. Yeah, and you know what? I don't know whether it's a you need the fitness to go against these guys for 80 minutes or you need the mental concentration to go for 80 minutes or you just need to be committed enough because I would be really, really disappointed if I was a Cardiff fan and if I was in the Cardiff coaching team at what happened in that second half. Cardiff had issues this season about losing their heads in the opposition 22, just not finishing off chances they had. They put together a good 40 minutes, and they've shown they just can't sustain that level, and they can't keep things going all the way to the line. Well, look at the start of the season, where they had those three or four or five games that they just bottled from a lead in the last couple of minutes. 
this team need to learn what to do and how to press their advantage. This is a real gap for them. It's something they can work on. Saracens are definitely in control of that group now. They're all but qualified and you have to expect a result from them next week. We'll see that pool largely wrapped up. Another pool that is very much not wrapped up, um, back in the mix in a lot of ways, Pool 4, and we saw the visit of Ulster to Scarlets. And they came away and burgled a win as well. 25 points to 24. What a game. It is such a shame that no one in Connectly went. <laughs> yeah, I think this is one of these games where everything that could possibly go wrong went wrong for the Scarlets, and everything that could possibly go right went right for Ulster. They looked on fire. They really were having an excellent game. It was easy to see this was the first time this season that Ulster put together their first strength 15. Or near to it. No, that's a good point. They've had a lot of different players and a lot of different combinations, but the likes of Louis Ludic back, which means that Addison gets back into the centre where he can do more damage. You've got pretty much a first-choice pack. Yeah, and they certainly looked like it. They were just so much more clinical with ball in hand. Just look at Stockdale's early try as proof for that. Jonathan Davies aside, sprinting out and missing a tackle, leaving the world's worst overlap. Stockdale gets the ball and makes fools of two Welsh internationals. He really did. And you're watching that and you're just trying to figure out which of the Scarlet's defenders is going to pull him into touch. And then he's over the try line. It's ridiculous. One tripped himself over on Stockdale's sidestep and the other one got handed off so easily. It was very soft. Which is the exact opposite. Ulster were defending like it was a hard border. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, their system was perfect. They knew exactly what they were doing all the way through. And to be honest, all of Scarlett's scores came from the slight lapses in concentration they had that just broke the line a bit to give Scarlett that space and that's all they needed. And it was just a question of whether when Scarlett's broke the line, there was a second line of Ulster defenders there. Because if there was, given that they were a bit isolated, they were getting turned over an awful lot. Rory Best was everywhere. He really was. But Scarlett's fans will be fuming. Attacking the Ulster five metre line Roy Best gets a turnover. But from the TV angle and not the ref angle, Roy Best had his hands on the ground, then his elbows on the ground, then on the ball, then he got up. <laughs> oh my God. I saw that. I was like, penalty Scarlets. Oh no, no, no. Best got away with it. Amazing. Hey, that is Irish captain material if there ever was any. Yeah, it is. And they were helped by a lot of unforced errors from the Scarlets and some really poor decision making. A lot of balls hitting the deck. Yeah, a lot of balls hitting the deck, a lot of knock-ons. But for me, the amount of times that forwards took the ball up or someone would just go like, I'm going to run this ball and not look over their shoulder and see the four players in open field. The monster overlaps yeah, that were missed. It was so scary. And a team that prides itself on its good transition rugby as well should be able to see those open spaces. They should. But look, you know what? This is a Pro 14 derby and both teams get to play this game again next week. What I think they can build on is that both of them were strong in the set piece. They were able to control their own ball. And what I think was a big improvement from Scarlett's perspective was they were actually able to get their hands on the ball a little bit more. Having James Davies back in that team is so important. It was so important. From Ulster's perspective, obviously, if they can click like that again next week, the defence is excellent. They're generating a lot of ball going forward. They've got real strike running options with Addison and Stockdale in there. They could, again, come out at home and do really well. Look, this result puts Scarlet's out of this pool. Ulster should be winning next week, given that Scarlet's focus is now the Pro 14. It is, and hopefully they can just avoid any suspensions. Their discipline in this game was pretty shocking. 
The other game in this pool, Racing hosted Leicester in Paris and ran out 36 points to 26 winners. Bonus point wrapped up in the first half. Look, Racing are going to top this group. Leicester and Ulster are now fighting out for that best runner-up spot. Absolutely. Moving on to Pool 5, and Edinburgh hosted the high-flying Newcastle Falcons and brought them sharply down to earth. 31 points to 13. Newcastle's prep for this match wasn't great. They injured a prop on Wednesday, the day after you're allowed to change a player in your squad. They had to field with 22 players. Oh, that's not a good start. But they did pick a very junior team after that. A lot of frontline players who've been so instrumental in the wins over Toulon and Montpellier were missing. It was disappointing to see. Maybe their focus has sharply gone onto the Premiership, given that seven teams are in the relegation battle. Definitely, and they've had a tough start to the season within their domestic league, so they probably do need to make sure they don't get relegated. That's a huge cash issue for them. Equally, they may have decided that they could lose this game on the road and take it to Edinburgh next week. Where they're going to have to look to do that, though, is they're going to have to certainly be better in the contact. Edinburgh were running over them at will. Bill Matta was everywhere. I think the amount of man crushes that he has at this stage is incredible because <laughs> I think you're front of the list. Oh, he's I, I love seeing rampaging eights because it's just fun, and he is like the poster <laughs> child for rampaging eights. Well, I tell you what really enables a rampaging eight is a smart nine. Henry Pergos really controlled the game from the base of the rock here. They didn't have to put a lot of ball out to tent. Van der Valt was good when he got it, but he was nearly being used as an extra first center that little bit further from the rock and able to run angles. Pergos just managed everything from nine. It's great to see the Petit General style of nine playing more and more because if your nine can control a lot of game, the options you have just open up. Definitely. And it was kind of indicative of Edinburgh's game plan. They wanted to play this tight. Not that they were trying to play 10-man rugby, but that they wanted to predominantly use their forwards and their ball carriers to punch holes in the Newcastle pack and then release the backs. A little bit concerning for them, I think Newcastle did get a line break on 30 minutes and scored a very well-worked try. But it ended up just being a simple numbers game, overlap on the wing, and over he popped for a try. That's a focus issue, and given the fact that Newcastle didn't score a try again in this match, they fixed it very quickly. Yeah, not sure if it's pure concentration, or if their numbers just got misaligned on something. Easily resolved, and you know what, Edinburgh came out in the second half, and they just started to ratchet up the gears. Chris Dean busted over for a second try, they got the third... And the fourth try in particular was really nice. There was an out-the-back offload from Bill Mata. Vandervald kicked it through. And Kinghorn sprinted through from Glasgow, it seemed like, with the speed he was coming at. Dot it down. Do Edinburgh not know that Glasgow scored those tries? <laughs> They're not supposed to score flashy tries. <laughs> but it's once again, we were saying this two weeks ago, the, both Scottish clubs are playing the Scottish national team brand of rugby. That's true, and it does help because at least then you're preparing for the type of rugby that you're going to play when you do come up to a national level. The other thing that's going to help, and the commentators mentioned it during the game, the new stadium is coming quite soon, and they're going to get a seven or 8,000-seater stadium basically in the shadow of Murrayfield. That's going to make a huge difference because it was another big, empty Murrayfield atmosphere. They might have had seven or 8,000 in there. You just wouldn't be able to tell. No, because most of them were disguised as empty seats or surrounded <laughs> by 20 seats each. You know what, though? From a Pro 14 perspective, Edinburgh really stood up here against the team who have won their opening two fixtures. Dominant pack, controlled the ball, and a 93% tackle percentage. But they'll be disappointed because they should have made easier work of this. I guess they certainly could have done more, but 
bonus point win, I don't think anybody is going to be begrudging them this. No. Having said that, there was a lot of 50-point wins this weekend, and this absolutely could have been another one of them. And in the other match in this pool, there was another high-scoring affair. Toulon beat Montpellier 38 points to 28. Yes, in French team versus French team, the home team wins. <laughs> this is so unpredictable, Porik. We have one quick game to talk about in the Challenge Cup. As always, we are stuck in the same position that all of you are, in that none of these games are on TV because BT Sports are the worst. I was there. That's where we know about it. <laughs> I was in the sports ground for Connors v. Perpignan, a sopping wet 22 points to 10 victory. I haven't seen any footage from this, including your fan cam yet, but from what I've heard, the conditions were uh, biblical. The fan cam's going to look great because I hid the camera when it was raining because it was that bad. <laughs> No, but honestly, there were times where we couldn't physically see the players. The rain was that heavy. And as you look at the pitch from the can stand, the Bohemore end is to your right, the College Road is to your left. Yep. The match was at the Bohemore end. Everyone was looking towards the College Road because the rain was so hard in their face they couldn't physically watch the game. Oh no. It was like, that bad. I've been at some pretty rotten games in the sports ground, but this sounds like it might have taken the prize. Oh, it was the worst conditions in the sports ground in a very, very long time. Oh, annoying. Well, look, let's talk about what rugby you were able to see. 22 points to 10 is a pretty good victory, but no bonus point again. No, and that is really disappointing. We had two tries within the first 20, 25 minutes, both off scrums, one off a lovely move, and the other one was, give the ball to Bundy. He will barge through three <laughs> players and just dot the ball down. He does do that. <laughs> but we didn't score again in that in the first half, you know, and we didn't really kick on. In the second, we were playing into a very strong wind, but Perpignan got a try back. And that lifted them. They thought they had a sniff then. And like, if French teams get a sniff of an away win, they can really go for it. I think one thing that you had in your favour was you had a little bit of experience on the bench at this level you were able to bring in. Yeah, Blade came on who has played in a lot of big games. And Godwin... Godwin? You hated him three weeks ago. And then he played well for two games. So it's fine now. <laughs> okay, so now we all love Carl Godwin. Great. No, he's, he's just proven himself to be a good signing. I'd, I'd like to see him throughout the rest of the season, but he seems to be bedding in well. Okay. But Godwin did pick up a good try. There was some good work by the pack near the Perpignan line. The ball gets out to him and he just literally runs around four players to dot the ball down. Nice. It was really good and it was needed to just put Perpignan out of this game. Well, the other thing that put them out of this game is your defensive line held like just the one try conceded, which is important. Connacht, at times, can be a little guilty of leaking scores. Yeah, we were rock solid. It's a shame our line-out was nowhere near as good. It was actually awful, to be honest. Okay, and that's pretty much a first-choice line-out for you guys, isn't it? No, it wasn't. There were some unfamiliar combinations, but Quinru, who is our line-out caller, and Dave Heffner and his captain should have done better. Okay. Again, the big issue for me, I think, is you're just not getting the match points that you need from these games. No, and with Sale winning 50 points to 24 away in Bordeaux, they've got this group sewn up now. And without a try bonus point in two of our home games in the Challenge Cup, best case scenario is we're best one of the best runner-ups. But it's not looking likely. No, not at the moment. And I guess we'll have a look at those tables after we wrap up the other results from the other pools. So, in Pool 1 in the Challenge Cup, Northampton beat the Dragons 48 points to 14. Normal service resumed, unfortunately, for the Dragons. <laughs> and the Timisoara Saracens were beaten 47 points to 14 at home by Claremont, who are just ridiculous. Normal service once again. Absolutely. In Pool 2, Poe beat Worcester 21 points to 6, while Ospreys at home whipped Stade Francais 51 points to 20. 
that's a hell of a result. I must go back and check the Stad team because you'd have to hope that's not their first team. I'm, I can't wait to see the highlights. Oh, oh wait, no. Oh, yeah, no. Uh, move on. In pool four, Bristol lost at home to La Rochelle, 22 points to 35. Bristol really struggling, and I just don't think they have the squad depth to compete on two fronts. Whereas that La Rochelle team, let's not forget, they're top of the top 14 at the moment, and they were in the Champions Cup last year. This is a serious side. And NSA lost at home to Zebre, 14 points to 31. Like Zebre are kicking on. They are a team very much on the rise, and NSA are not. Pool 5 then saw Grenoble beat Agen, 22 points to 15. French team versus French team. Home, home team, team wins! wins. And then Benetton beat Harlequins 26 points to 21 at home. Speaking of Italian teams kicking on. That's a great result. It's brilliant. And what does it do for the tables? In the Challenge Cup, we have three teams unbeaten with three bonus point wins each out of three. That's Claremont, Sale and La Rochelle. Safe to say that they're sailing through to the quarterfinals. Puns? Oh, that was an accident. Puns? Oh, sorry. You're watching too much BT. (laughs) I am. Banter. Looking at the Pro 14 teams, though, and in Pool 1, the Dragons are on five points behind Northampton. They're really going to struggle to qualify. I really don't see it in their future, to be honest. In Pool 2, Ospreys are on top on 11 points, but it's going to be a tough pool to get out of as the top three teams are within the three points of each other. Yeah, lucky they have Stad again next week for a bit of a confidence-boosting win. <laughs> in Pool 3, we spoke about Connacht. They're on eight points. There's a chance they could qualify, but they're going to need to start getting some tri-bonus points. And fast. Absolutely. In Pool 4, Zebra are second behind La Rochelle. And their destiny is in their old hands. They could be putting Connacht out of the Challenge Cup. Definitely. And in Pool 5, Benetton are top of their pool. Again, Grenoble and Harlequins are within a couple of points of them. But the Italians very much in control of Pool 5. These results in these pools for Italian teams are showing why meritocracy works. Absolutely. Looking at the Champions Cup League tables then. And again, only a handful of sides still unbeaten at this point. Racing 92 and Saracens with 14 out of a possible maximum 15 points. And Toulouse, who've won all three games but haven't picked up a bonus point yet. So a little bit less spread out than the Challenge Cup. But talking Pro 14, in Pool 1 in the Champions Cup, Leinster are second and their fate is in their own hands here. They're two points behind Toulouse, but they seem to have the nicer run from here on out. Definitely, and they still have to play Toulouse in Dublin, which really is the pool decider in a lot of ways. Munster are top of Pool 2, in control by all accounts, another win against Cast, and that firmly kills off their chances, making it a two-horse race for this pool. And I'd fancy them against Gloucester. I think so, even though they do have to travel to the King's home. In Pool 3, it looks like Glasgow have one of the best second-place team spots sewn up, and Cardiff look like they're going to fall away. They do. I think we're still optimistic that we'll get one Pro 14 team out of this group. Saracens was always going to be a big ask, but Glasgow looked like they should be able to do enough. And in Pool 4, that result from Ulster just really livens it back up again. They're trailing behind Racing, as is nearly everybody, but on nine points and in second place in their pool, very much live for qualification. But Ulster do have to travel to Welford Road in round six. Which is really going to be who gets out of that pool as well as Racing. Yeah. Pool five then, and Edinburgh are top of the pool. No one, no one saw this three rounds ago. They also didn't see Newcastle in second place. No. (laughs) Montpellier and Toulon lost at the bottom of the pool, punching each other in the face next week again. How bad is a top 14 this season? No comment. We only talk about top tier (laughs) leagues. True. (laughs) And speaking of top tier leagues, it's time to talk about our second row top performer and clown of the round. And Porrick, this week you've picked our top performer. 
I have, and I picked it from Scarlet's v Ulster. Eric O'Sullivan. What a game he had. So this is Ulster's loose head prop, right? Yeah. He Are was... you sure he's a loose head prop? <laughs> the work rate he had Did anyone was... tell him he's a loose head prop? <laughs> His work rate was incredible. He looked like a back row out there. He looked like Dan Lydiot. He was chopping down anything that got anywhere near him. His tackle stats are ridiculous. At one point, I know he'd made 16 tackles, but I'm sure he added to that. Well, at one point, I saw a phase of that, and he made three in a row in three consecutive rocks. He was just everywhere, and given that he was putting himself about in the scrum, and a dominant scrum from an Ulster perspective, at least on their own ball, so impressive his work rate. One of the nice advantages that Ulster have had this year through missing some key players, be that through injury or international duty, some of the young guys up there, Eric O'Sullivan, Tom O'Toole, Michael Lowry, brilliant from their perspective that they're getting this game time. But yeah, that's a totally good shout this week. Eric had a great game. And it really shows Dan McFarland has the raw materials to work with up there. He does, which is nice. <laughs> it is. And speaking of raw materials, you've picked our clown of the round. This week, clown of the round goes to Flaggate. This week, Bath decided that 1,500 Leinster flags posed more of a risk to their team than the 23 players who would be lining out against them and banned them from the stadium on the basis of failing not one, not two, but three health and safety checks? I have never, ever heard of anything like this before. Which makes me wonder, is it real? Is it an EU directive that Britain has decided to follow? Or is it just world-class gamesmanship from Bath? I'm going with gamesmanship because if those 1500 flags can go on aeroplanes, you know the things that they're worried about terrorists and we have to like practically get strip searched to, to go on, can make it to the game I don't know how they can get into the game. And the worst thing is, they confiscated them, so they couldn't even be handed out individually to fans outside the gates. I think it's backfired, though. I've seen some really funny stuff on social media this weekend. I think everybody is having a pop at bath over it. If there was something wrong with the flags, then I think Clown of the Round can be shared with whoever in the Leinster branch got them done. But if it was just bath being Olympic-level, fussy, difficult, mean-spirited so-and-sos then Bath, you can take Clown of the Round all for yourself. And if we look towards next week, it's pretty easy. It's the return fixtures of everything that happened in the Champions Cup. It is. So Leinster at home to Bath, Cast at home to Munster, Glasgow at home to Leon, Cardiff at home to Saracens, Ulster at home to Scarlets, and Newcastle at home to Edinburgh. But the Challenge Cup is not quite a flip. Yeah, because you have Russian teams and they have to like travel differently and work differently and all Confusing. those types of things. Yes. So what are the fixtures in the Challenge Cup next week, Paul? Claremont are home to Dragons. Stade Francais are home to Ospreys. Perpignan are home to Connacht. Zebra are home to NSA. And Harlequins are home to Benetton. Yes, and we'll be watching the Champions Cup games. As usual, we shall not see the Challenge Cup ones. I presume you're not going to Perpignan. No, I'm not going to Perpignan, sadly. Oh. Well, either way, another good weekend of rugby. And that wraps us up for this week. Yeah. Thanks everyone for listening. We'll be back next week for round four of European Rugby. We really do love hearing from you. So do get in touch on facebook.com forward slash the second row. On Twitter and Instagram we're at the second row. That's 2ND, not the word second. So until next time, goodbye and thanks again for listening. Take care everyone.